<laughs> so appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, we are in a, a sermon series that has been sitting and percolating on my heart for probably a couple of years now, and we're talking about the topic of holiness. Now, depending on your background, depending on your Christian experience, when we talk about holiness, you could respond in different ways. <laughs> Some people grew up in a Christian religious environment where you were made very aware that you are not holy. In fact, you were made very aware of how no good you are. And by other people who perceived themselves to be holy, it actually hampered your relationship with God because they're saying they're holy, but I see their faults. I see their failures. I know my faults and my failures. And then I'm trying to merge these two things together. Because the Bible actually says, as disciples of Jesus, as the people of God, that we are to be holy. The Apostle Peter says this in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse, uh, verse 15. says, just as he who called you, being Jesus, is holy... So be holy in all that you do. Now, that can sound like a big spiritual weight to have to carry. Like, it, there's a little part of me that wishes this verse in verse P, and First Peter said, be holy on Sunday morning. Because I can pull that off. You know, I can show up on Sunday and I can put on some nice clothes and I can read my Bible and I can pray and I can close my eyes and I can raise my hands and I can sing a song. I can look holy on Sunday morning, but Peter calls the church to be holy in all that you do. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be holy? Does it mean to be this perfect Christian, this perfect religious person? No, what holy means, and we talked about this as we introed this series a couple weeks ago, it means that you are set apart for something different. To be holy is that you look different. You are set apart for something different, just as Jesus is different from the rest of the world. We are to be different. And all throughout the New Testament, it talks about this idea that we are on this journey of becoming holy. How many of you have arrived? You're there. You go, man, I don't think I could get any holier than I am right now. <laughs> if any of you feel that way, call me. I would love for you to mentor me. Okay, there's this journey that all of us go on. And one of my favorite verses is, is coming out of First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23. Every year I pick a verse or a theme as kind of like my prayer verse for the year. And for 2023, this is my verse where it says, may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our soul, our spirit. Our body, it's becoming, it's, it's being sanctified, it's becoming blameless, it's growing in the Lord Jesus. It's all that I do. Everything that you do comes from your soul, comes from your spirit, comes from your body. 
And are we giving those things to God's glory? And so today's message will be a challenge, and I admit it. It's going to be difficult because I want to talk about our body. I want to talk about the journey of wellness, of wholeness, when it comes to our physical bodies. Now, there's a lot of teaching out there from Christians when it comes to fitness. Like, I mean, I've been on a kick for the last few years about fitness. I've been trying to take better care of myself. And, and the point of taking care of myself is not to look good in a bathing suit. That's, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is I'm tired. <laughs> Ever since I turned 50 a couple of years ago, like I wake up in the morning and my body hurts from sleeping. Like, what's the deal with that? Like, I didn't, that didn't happen at 30. Sleeping hurts. It doesn't feel right. Right? And so I've been looking at health. Now, open up a web browser. Don't do it right now. But do it when you get home. Google Christian health and fitness. Oh, my goodness. You want to go down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole? That will bring you into some really weird stuff. Google that. Okay? Now, don't Google that and say, wow, Kevin, everything you said today was wrong because I went down this rabbit hole. No, the reason the rabbit hole is there is because there's a lot of opinions on this. There's a lot of opinions when it comes to our health, when it comes to our bodies. And sadly, there's a lot of bad teaching on our health, that if you have bad health, that is an indication of you have a bad spirituality. And that can be very, very abusive and very, very dangerous. Now, the Bible does teach about how our faith can help heal and how our faith can bring holiness into our physical bodies. But you can't flip it the opposite way. That one is evidence of the other, right? Like I, and when I try to address this, this whole idea of wellness, of, of sanctifying in our bodies, one of the first things that we have to remember, and this is not a pleasant thought, <laughs> right now, at this moment, while I'm speaking, we're dying, Welcome to Greenbelt. I love these happy topics. <laughs> but we're literally, like at this moment, we're dying, which is actually in fulfillment of what the Bible teaches us. But the Bible says, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, right now we are waiting. We're waiting for this return of Jesus. We live in the fullness of the kingdom of God, but not yet. How do I know you are dying? Well, right now, one million cells in your body die every second. Can you pray that off? Could God stop it? Yes. yes. <laughs> Is he stopping it? No. Why? 
Maybe he is. Maybe he puts a pause. Maybe he temporarily does it. But the longer we're here, for every cell that dies, a cell is born. So we're okay till you hit 50. (laughs) And the cells just don't seem to be regenerating as quickly as they did when I was 30. Why is my back so sore? Sleeping. Things like that, right? This is the challenge of these verses that talk about our wellness. Because we believe that God is a healer. And we have seen as a church family people healed. But we also know that sometimes God doesn't heal. But we know he's good. And we know he has a purpose with not healing. And so we live in this tension sometimes. So what I want us to do today is look at a very familiar story from the Old Testament. It's a a story that we teach children a lot in Sunday school. And honestly, it's one of the stories in the Old Testament that entire fitness and diets and nutrition plans are put together on based on one verse. And then we take one verse and we hang our hat on it like every Christian should live this way because of this one verse. And I want to say right from the get-go, when we do that, we're actually missing the point of the text. When we try to put a law or a religion or a process on a verse to mandate how we should live as Christians... We sometimes miss the point. So I want to read from the Old Testament. We're going to read from the book of Daniel. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 1, right at the beginning. I love when we get into these Old Testament ones, because then I have to, like, pronounce all these Hebrew names. And when I pronounce it wrong, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but just assume you're wrong and I'm right. You know, and if you hear hear me pronounce it different, go, well, I didn't know it was pronounced that way. You're probably right, okay? It's the way Hebrew works. We all kind of have different interpretations of how it sounds out, right? But here in Daniel, again, very, very famous passage talking about the exile of the people of Israel. And what the exile is, this was a bad period in Israel's history, That it was prophesied long before this actually happened that because of the sin of the people of God, that God, in his mercy, was going to turn these people over to their enemy. And I know we have a hard time just even with that summary. God, in his mercy, turning people over to their enemy. Doesn't sound very merciful, right? But this is how God works. He does things that are different, that are set apart, that are not the way you and I would do things. So here we got Daniel chapter 1, starting right here in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, in this one verse... You're talking about the complete and total destruction of Jerusalem. And when you understand the people of God, when you understand Israel in those days, their identity as the people of God came not from their simply their faith, but came from their position in the land. They're in the holy land that God promised them. They built a temple to worship God. 
And in that temple, it's not just some nice church building or some nice cathedral. It's the place where the full presence of the glory of God dwells. It's where the people brought their sin sacrifices in order to deal with the sin in their life. They brought it to the temple to be sacrificed there. Everything about their identity has been besieged. It's gone. In one verse. And then it says, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. God delivered them into the king of Babylon. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. All the things that they use for worshiping God ends up in Babylon. These he carried off to the temple of his God. This is uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. He takes the things of God and he puts them in the treasure house of his God. And again, back in that culture, my God is bigger than your God. My God could beat up your God. This is what's going on here. Babylon is showing the people of God, your God's not all that. Your God can't save you. Your God can't deliver you. Look at what we've done. Right? So there's something very spiritual going on here. Okay? I'm going to jump down to verse 6. And says, so it talks about the, the, that young men with physical, um, you know, who are healthy and handsome and they have aptitude for learning. They were taken as slaves and brought into the king's court. And they go for three years of training to work for the king. So it says, among those who were chosen were some from Judah. You had Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right, the chief official gave them new names. And you can read about the new names. That's where you get the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three who were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to this king of Babylon. But it says in verse 8, it talks about how Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Because further up, I, I just skimmed over it, is that this official has a plan for all these slaves. You're going to eat the way we eat. You're going to learn our language. You're going to learn our religion. You're going to become us. And Daniel asks to not defile himself. Verse 9 continues, says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should you see? So why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested him for 10 days. Verse 15 continues, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guards took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. 
And then at the end of that time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So, he, and so they entered the king's servants' service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So this is, a very, again, familiar story. Jewish people from Judah brought into slavery into Babylon. They ask the king of the world, we don't want to eat the way you eat. We're just going to have vegetables and water. And then it shows that they are healthier than everybody else. And so the conclusion that we make from this Bible passage is that we as the kingdom of God and we as followers of Jesus should be vegan. (laughs) And eating nothing but vegetables and drinking water. Because if it works for Daniel, it will work for you. Is that the point of the text? Then why do you believe that, some of us? Why do we go down the rabbit holes and buy the books and go to the conferences and all of that? Because there's something here to explore. It's not that you have to become a vegan. Okay? And if you are one, God bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. If God has put that on your heart to be one, it's all good. Right? But this isn't a commandment. There is something spiritual at play here that this story unpacks for us. And it can be used, I believe, to show us the interrelation between our body, soul, and spirit and how these things play together and how God can use our spiritual life and our physical lives together for his glory. Okay. So first thing, again, I unpacked this a little bit as I was reading it. But again, I really want to drive this point home here of what is happening in Babylon. Now, if you've been coming here for a while, you know I'm a, I'm a nerd and I love nerdy things. And I'm currently watching Star Trek Picard on, on streaming. And I know I feel like a total traitor as a Star Wars guy. You know, like watching Trek, I just feel dirty. And, but um, but I just, I'm doing it. I'm watching it. And I remember, yeah, woo, Trekkers Unite. <laughs> One of my favorite villains in Star Trek is the Borg. If you don't know who they are, they're a bunch of robots who travel around the galaxy and they do what's called assimilation. That you are going to assimilate into us. We are going to take the best of you, but then turn you into us. This is what Babylon does. This is actually sometimes what we as Christians want to do as well. We go out into the world and we want to take the best of that culture But ultimately, we want you to be like us. (laughs) This is what Babylon is doing. It's it's indoctrination, right? It's integrating these captives of completely destroying their way of life. Get rid of their food that they eat. Get rid of their religion. Get rid of their culture. Get rid of their temples. Get rid of their leaders. And indoctrinate them into our teaching, our belief, our gods, our food, our language, our laws. 
we're going to take your treasures. We're going to take your land. We're going to take your young, healthy people to join our armies and be used in our courts. We will take what is best for the purpose of becoming like us. This is why throughout the entirety of your Bible, Babylon is used as an allegory for the world that you and I live in today. That is why in the book of Revelation, when it talks about Babylon, is it a physical, actual place, Babylon? Maybe, but it's most likely the spiritual Babylon that you and I live in. We live in a world today that wants to completely and totally indoctrinate you to the teachings of this world. But you are called to be holy, to be set apart, to be used for something different. And the spirit of Babylon hits every single one of us every day. And then we make choices. Will I be indoctrinated into Babylon? Or will I stand firm like Daniel and say, I don't want to be defiled? See, that's what Daniel is saying here. It's not about the vegetables and the water, even though eating vegetables and water is a good thing. I've been doing this thing in the morning where I take a blender and I put spinach in it and celery in it and kale. Why do we eat kale? Kale's disgusting. And like chard and like it's all this green stuff and I blend it and then I drink slash chew it in the morning. And I'm like, what have I become? Who am I? What have I become? Right? So this isn't about the vegetables and the water. Those are good things. This is about are we choosing to be defiled by Babylon? Like this is the point I think we have to get from this text. Right? The food, the king's food and the drink, we don't know why Daniel doesn't want to take it. The text doesn't say. But when you study the Old Testament, you know because the people of Israel were set apart. They were to look different than everybody else. That's why God gave them a whole bunch of food laws. Eat this way. Don't eat these things. There's all these preparation that they used for making their food. And you can read about all of those those laws and those rules in the book of Leviticus. And the challenge, again, as modern-day Christians, should we be eating like the old Jewish people ate? If you want to try it, go for it. But is it a commandment for every Christian in this day and age that we can no longer have a BLT? I hope not, because I like bacon, right? And so we got these challenges here, but this defiling... That's being talked about here. It could be because the type of food that was being served, it wasn't the kind of food the Israelites ate. Maybe it was improper uh, preparation. Maybe the food had come in contact with dead or impure objects. Maybe it was sacrifice or was poured out to idols. There's all these things that the people of Israel did when it came to their food. Right? So it's not just simply about the food. 
It's about the spiritual battle that is going on here that the food represents. And so the purpose of this story, when we talk about our physical wellness, it's not about the food, but it's about discipline and obedience to God. Right? And that's kind of the big idea that I want you to remember. If you only remember one thing from today, is that becoming whole, this journey of holiness, part of becoming whole lies in discipline and obedience. The holiness journey, part of it lies in discipline and obedience. Again, verses 15 to 17, what we see is we see the results of their obedience. We see the results of their discipline. It says in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and they were better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Though they were obedient to how God called them to live. And then in verse 17, you see the outpouring of obedience. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. Did Daniel become a prophet who could interpret dreams because he was a vegan? <laughs> Again, I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek. If you're a vegan, please email me tomorrow. I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. I'm really not. Okay? But that's not, I do this, God must do that. I eat this way, God must do this. It's not how it works. But God calls us to obedience. When God asks you to do something, you do it. If God calls you to eat a vegetable smoothie in the morning that is part drink, part chunky thing you got to chew, you do it. But the point is obedience. The point is discipline. And what we see from Daniel and the other Israelites here is the result of obedience and discipline. Right? One of my... Favorite verses from the New Testament is, uh, and we talk about this one all the time, it's from Galatians chapter 5 when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about this in the first week of this series. And what I love about Galatians chapter 5, for me personally, Galatians chapter 5 is my default verse to ask myself, how am I doing spiritually? How is my walk with Jesus going How is my marriage going? How is my fathering going? How is my pastoring going? I can judge all of those things from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the last one I'm going to skip because I hate this one. Self-control. See, when we evaluate how we are doing spiritually, sometimes the physical can be evidence of how we are doing spiritually. The physical can be evidence of how we are doing spiritually, right? If we're always angry, there's a problem. If we're never experiencing love, joy, or peace, if we always have this knot in your intestine. When you go on Twitter or watch the news, when it's causing you to verbally 
(laughs) berate people with your tongue and chew people out. There's physical things that are evidence of the spiritual life. And one of the ones that I think is so important and crucial for us to look at is the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Because what I think self-control shows us when we lack it in whatever area that is in, whether it's how you're eating, exercise, Bible study, service, generosity, whatever. The lack of self-control may be evidence that you're still a slave in Babylon. The lack of self-control, maybe, I'm not saying it is, but it may be evidence that you're giving in to the worldview you have been indoctrinated by Babylon. And so that's a question that I think we have to wrestle with. We have to ask ourselves, am I a slave in Babylon? And am I allowing myself to be indoctrinated? Right here we have Daniel and the other young leaders. They were able to stick to what God asked of them. Now, we don't know what the table of the king of Babylon looked like, but I'm going to assume it was amazing. Okay, because I don't imagine going into the king of Babylon's courthouse and seeing his banquet table. And I'm pretty sure it's not my vegetable smoothie that he's having in the morning. I'm imagining croissants with melted cheese on them dipped in maple syrup and homemade raspberry jam and a whole lot of bacon. Okay, that's kind of, it's not in the text. Okay, so don't don't say this is the text. Okay, but I'm assuming the king's banquet is amazing. And Danielle and I, uh, we weren't here last week. We've been going to this retreat uh, one weekend a month because as we are on a church journey of regrouping and refocusing and relaunching, Danielle and I, in our own spiritual journey, we are regrouping and refocusing and relaunching in our own personal faith. And we were away at this retreat, and I know, I know when I get there, I'm eating what I shouldn't eat. And I know it. And I look forward to it. (laughs) My one weekend a month. (laughs) Because I know. And again, it's not a commandment of God. It's just the journey that I've been on. I know that if I eat certain food, I'm going to be up all night. I know if I drink certain things, I'm going to have a headache that's throbbing like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to have to take half a jar of, or half a container of extra strength Tylenol to deal with the headache. I know these things already. And I eat it anyways. <laughs> Why? Because there is a spiritual lack of self-control. I know it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual lack of control, right? And again, on this journey that we've been on, Danielle, for her health, we actually hired a nutrition coach to help us deal with how we are eating, right? And the coach was not a Christian, but oh my goodness, like I'm going through this coaching, that will preach, that will preach, that will preach. And he said, because you and I live in Babylon, 
where Babylon tells us that you are free to do whatever you want. Live however you want, sleep with whoever you want, eat however you want. It doesn't matter. Welcome to Babylon. You're free. Here's the test when it comes to eating. This is what we learned when it comes to this journey of eating. When I order a pizza, do I eat the whole thing or one slice? The whole thing! Because I'm free to do whatever I want. But here's the reality. I'm not free. I'm a slave. Because I can't walk away from the pizza. It actually shows me I'm still a slave in Babylon. If you can't walk away from pornography, you're a slave. You're not free. If you can't walk away from sleeping around, you're not free. (laughs) You're a slave. If you can't walk away from any of these fruit of the spirit things, you're mean, you're cruel, you're a gossip, you're a liar, you're a glutton, you're a thief, whatever it is for you. It's a spiritual thing that could be evidenced in our physical wellness. Are we slaves? See, because in Galatians chapter 5, at the very beginning, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit here, he talks about true freedom. That there is freedom from Babylon. And it's not in our behavior. It's not in our traditions. It's not even in what Google Christian health fitness plan you find. The only freedom that is available for all of humanity is Jesus. Where Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Right? Spiritual issues in my life tend to play out in the physical. I know I'm not doing well spiritually by the behavior and the actions that I am doing physically. When I turn to food instead of prayer. When I turn to mindless social media scrolling instead of reading my Bible. When I sit in front of the TV for hours and accomplish nothing instead of being creative and doing something with my hands and being a blessing to other people. Now, nothing wrong with having a pizza on a Netflix night and chilling out and relaxing. But am I a slave? Because part of becoming whole, what I believe Daniel and his friends model for us, is that discipline and self-control are crucial parts of this holiness journey. When the temptations of Babylon come, and they will come, because we're in Babylon. The spirit of Babylon is alive and well. We ask, am I growing in discipline? (laughs) Is Holy Spirit in me helping me to become more disciplined (laughs) in the things that God is asking of me? Am I growing in the fruit of the spirit, which includes being (laughs) self-controlled? Am I able to walk away (laughs) from the temptations of Babylon? You see, in the pursuit of holiness, (laughs) this is the model that I get from Daniel chapter 1. It's not about the food. It's not about the vegetables and the water. 
It's about the discipline and the obedience. And when you and I walk in obedience, when you and I walk in discipline, then suddenly we start seeing the outpouring of God working. Where suddenly you have like, and he talks about it here in the verse 17 that I've read a few times, right? Knowledge, understanding, they can understand literature, they're learning, they're growing, they're getting visions and dreams and they're participating in the work of God. Would God have used Daniel if he wasn't obedient? If he wasn't disciplined? (laughs) If he wasn't self-controlled? No, what would he do? He'd find somebody else. (laughs) And I want us to be a church, men, women, boys, and girls, that where God looks down on our church, says, yeah, I can use you. I can bring vision to you and dreams to you and knowledge to you and move you and do that and do that and do that. But we have to step into self-control and discipline. And for all of us, it's going to look different. Maybe some of, some of you need to start eating a vegetable smoothie with me in the morning. Maybe some of you need to read your Bible more. Maybe some of you need to pray, you need to volunteer, you need to start giving, you need to start doing something to get you out of Babylon. This is why we want everybody in a life group. Talk about it in your life group. Where am I stuck in Babylon and how can you help me get out of it? (laughs) But ultimately, the only way to truly be out of Babylon is to be in Christ. (laughs) Christ has set us free from Babylon. (laughs) And we can turn to him and we can know that we have that forgiveness, that we have the freedom that Christ gives us. Again, not by eating vegetables and drinking water, but by turning to Jesus. And we say, Father, I know I have sin. I know I fall short of your glory. And I thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life. Make me new. And if you pray that way this morning, church online, in person here, tell us. We want to rejoice and celebrate with you because that is the freedom that God has come to bring us. And then from there, whether you made that decision this morning or you made it 50 years ago, we look at our physical wellness. And is it evidence of me not being disciplined? Is it evidence of me not being self-controlled? Not saying it is, but maybe it is. (laughs) I know for me, it is a lot. And Daniel, why we look at to Daniel, we don't look at these old passage, Old Testament stories and go, I want to be Daniel. We look at them going, what was it about Daniel's faith that I'm lacking? (laughs) And how could my faith be built up like his? And I think what we have to see is that the temptations of Babylon are not worth it. The food at the king's court is not worth it. But receiving God's vision and knowledge and learning and presence is what we are pursuing. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for how this journey of holiness works that even though you could instantly heal, you don't always. We praise you for when you do, and we trust you for when you don't. 
And Father God, we praise you on this journey of holiness that each and every one of us is on. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us, no matter where we are at in our spiritual journey, to um, take a good look at our relationship with you and help us see areas, God, where we could grow in discipline. Show us, God, where we could grow in obedience. Again, not so that we can show off and look holier than anybody, but so that we could see you at work more, so that we would see your presence in our life more, so that you would use us, Father, for your glory. And so, Lord, today, I ask for all of us as a church family that your Holy Spirit would bring us love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.